Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. Although having a guide dog can offer one an improved sense of independence and improved mobility, it really sometimes isn't for everybody. And on today's show, we'll be talking about some of the pros and cons of working with a guide dog. We'll be speaking with Thomas Panic, president of Guiding Eyes for the Blind, about those issues and also about how his organization trains guide dogs and matches them with owners. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Thomas Panic. You know, people talk about the dog's ability to be a social uh, icebreaker, too. And I found that to be the case, you know, for me in many situations, although you tend to attract dog lovers, uh, <laughs> but it tends to be a social icebreaker for me as well. We've heard that from a number of guide dog users. Yeah, I think that uh, many, many individuals that graduate from Getting Eyes for the Blind uh, share those stories with us. And of course, some people are afraid of dogs, so it can go the other way too, right? Um, somebody could run, run the other way if they're afraid of the dog. But as you know, the, the guide dogs are incredibly well-tempered uh, dogs, uh, very consistent behavior, and uh, pretty much the only thing they'll do is lick you to death. <laughs> Absolutely. And a little bit later in this show, we'll be hearing a story Tom has to share about meeting a dog lover. And as we're recording this episode, one of the numerous dogs in the neighborhood is barking in the background. We hope that doesn't disrupt anything. Let's start by meeting Thomas and learning about his personal experiences with guide dogs. My name is Thomas Panic. Not to be confused with Don't Panic. My last name is spelled P-A-N-E-K. And you work at Guiding Eyes for the Blind. Can you tell us what you do there and what your role is? Sure. I am the president and CEO of Guiding Eyes for the Blind, and we are an organization that trains service dogs for people with vision loss, and I am the president. So I'm responsible for... Uh, our overall objectives, which is to provide the very best guide dogs to people of all walks of life all around the world. And for anybody who doesn't know, Guiding Eyes for the Blind is headquartered in Yorktown Heights, not far north of New York City, and is one of the major providers of guide dogs in the United States. Most of our audience is visually impaired, and most of your clients are also. Are you? I am, yes. I have RP, so I've lost my sight gradually over time. I have uh, very little um, usable sight left. I can see if it's day or night, but beyond that, I don't have much uh, vision, so I rely on a guide dog for mobility. And what's your guide dog's name? My guide dog's name is Gus, uh, affectionately called Gus Gus, and he is a very sweet yellow lab, uh, about 68 pounds. He's been with me for three years now, and he's doing a really good job. I take it this is probably not your first guide dog? No, I've had guide dogs uh, for about 20 years now, 
And my very first guide dog was from a school in California called Guide Dogs for the Blind. His name was Paulson. We affectionately called him Polly. And I was just at the point where I didn't feel safe uh, traveling anymore. I was studying overseas. I was going to go to Japan. And I was really worried about getting around. Uh, my cane skills were not excellent at that point since I was using whatever remaining sight I had. And I made the leap of faith to put my trust in a guide dog. And so this is my sixth guide dog. Uh, I've had uh, black labs, yellow labs uh, primarily. And I've been able to, you know, get married. That's how I met my wife. I'll tell you a little bit about that later. Get back and forth to school, finish college, get a job, all those things, and uh, travel quite extensively. So I've been really fortunate to have benefited from a guide dog. And now as president, I can help others do the same. You know, what's interesting to me is it is always difficult for people to make changes, especially in their lifestyle. And as you said, you were a little reluctant to start using your first guide dog, but obviously this was a very positive experience and you've continued to avail yourself of that type of service. Yeah, I have many friends who are extremely good cane users. I am not. <laughs> um, so for me, uh, I got through my orientation and mobility training uh, solely for the purpose of getting the guide dog. And it wasn't that long after I picked up my first cane that I was able to get a Paulson. And, you know, it was an interesting experience for me because I still had some useful sight left. And I was told that I really had to rely on the dog so that the dog wouldn't lose its training. I wouldn't do things for the dog. And over time, that has gradually flipped itself over where now I'm really exclusively using the guide dog as a mobility aid. So for me, it was a right personal decision, but everyone has to make that decision on their own. We have um, about 165 graduates this year at Guiding Eyes for the Blind that make that decision. In any given class, we graduate about a dozen students a month uh, in our residential program. And then we have home training as well, where our field reps train people in the home. And, you know, it's a very personal decision to get a guide dog. Uh, you can't uh, park the dog in the corner at the end of the day. You got to feed him and play with uh, him or her and take care of the dog. And it really becomes a partner in life for, for those of you who have guide dogs. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, we do have choices these days, and that's nice to know. Yes. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 This week's focus topic is the services provided by Guiding Eyes for the Blind and how they train the dogs to be able to perform as guide dogs, as well as some of the pros and cons that go into the major decision of whether or not to use a guide dog. We've actually done a number of shows about guide dogs, guide dog organizations, and we actually interviewed someone in episode 1209 who trained guide dogs when they were young so that they could be given to people for guiding eyes for the blind later on. But anyway, today we wanted to talk a little bit about the organization that you're running. So can you tell us just an overview of the organization, what you do, how long you've been around? First of all, we've been around for 60 years. And our organization has graduated more than 7,000 guide dog users, uh, wow. which is pretty amazing. It's a long history. And um, one of the things that's unique about 
Guiding Eyes for the Blind is that we serve individuals uh, who are visually impaired as well as uh, individuals who might have an additional mobility challenge. So uh, whether it's uh, multiple sclerosis or cerebral palsy, maybe they have a balance challenge or we have a number of individuals that uh, are deafblind and our dogs go through some additional training to meet that person's individual needs. So part of the culture of Guiding Eyes is really to meet the person where they're at. And we're very proud of that. And it means that we can continue to innovate depending on what people are looking for in a guide dog. And that's really neat. Can you describe what goes into training a guide dog? Our program starts at our canine development center. That's where our puppies are born. They're whelped at the uh, puppy center. And they go through some early socializing where they're exposed to human touch, to underfootings, to watch for overhead objects because a guide dog will ultimately have to do that. And so there are mobiles hanging from the ceiling. The best way I can describe it is to think about a nursery. And um, our dogs have a very loving environment there uh, for the first several weeks uh, and months of their life. They're then given to home socializers who take them home for a weekend or a week so that they experience different things, you know, uh, vacuum cleaners, hair dryers, all kinds of household noises, etc. They get exposed to everything in their daily lives. Absolutely, daily living. And then they're assigned to a puppy raiser, like the lady you mentioned. And that's someone who volunteers, they give of their time, to take the puppy into their home. And they will care for that puppy as it grows into a young adult. You know, a year and a half is about when we start to bring them in for formal training. So that's a really special time. Many of our puppy raisers have raised a number of dogs. We have people that have raised over 20 dogs for us. And it's a lifetime of work and love and care for that animal that will ultimately serve somebody. And that was true of the woman we interviewed. I believe Pam Boy was on her fifth or sixth puppy that she had raised. Yeah, it's really an incredible thing for people to do. And of course, uh, the question always comes up, how do you give them up? And uh, they do. They give them up and then they go into our formal training program at Guiding Eyes for the Blind in Yorktown Heights, New York. We're about an hour north of the city, Manhattan. And we have a training program. We have amazing trainers. There's an apprentice program for people that want to become a guide dog trainer and learn the ropes. And they learn. It's kind of a teach-the-teacher model. So they learn how to train a dog for this incredibly specific job, which is a high bar. Uh, we have about 975 working guide dogs right now uh, throughout the world. And on campus, we have in our kennel, adult kennel population, about 170, 165, 170 dogs right now. And students come to the campus after the dog has been formally trained to become a guide dog. And once they get to your campus, they must learn a whole lot of special skills that they're going to need in uh, helping a blind person through their daily activities. What kind of special skills are you teaching them at that point? It's a pretty amazing process. It really starts with basic uh, obedience and learning how to walk along, you know, the side, left side of a street. We call that shorelining. And then they work their way up to targeting doors, 
with um, clicker training and positive reinforcement through treats. And I am not a guide dog trainer, but it's amazing to me to see um, how well these dogs do uh, throughout the training process. Uh, not all the dogs make it, though. I was going to say, we've heard that. It's a very rigorous program, <laughs> but not all of them are successful getting through it. No, they're not. And, you know, we really leave it up to the dog to determine what job they want to have. We like to say that uh, the dog decides. And along the way, some of the dogs um, maybe are not as confident about crossing, you know, 42nd Street uh, in the middle of Manhattan. They would rather stay on the side of the road and, and watch the handler and wait for them to give direction. So those dogs are given to other organizations that we partner with for other jobs. So you do find good uses for them? We do. So we have a partnership with the state police for dogs that do detection. They're taught to smell out um, a handgun or a firearm or uh, even uh, detecting bombs in this day and age. And they go to uh, alcohol, tobacco, firearms for that purpose, just to be alongside a trainer to keep our city safe. And, you know, the other day I was um, signing up for a marathon, which we'll talk about later. But uh, one of our dogs, Tammy, was there with the handler and she was keeping the Javits Center in New York safe, just uh, making sure that nobody was bringing in anything they should not. They also go to other organizations that help to train dogs for people with hearing loss. There's um, alert dogs, seizure detection, you know, uh, for individuals with epilepsy, they can detect, uh, in some cases, a seizure in advance. So they're trained for all sorts of things, but only about 36% of the dogs that are born in our puppy center make it as a guide dog. So those are the dogs that really have proven that they can keep an individual safe. And the way that they're tested is they, the trainers, go through something called a final blindfold. And that's where the dog has to prove to the trainer that they are capable of safely navigating with someone who's blind. You talk about not all dogs making it through the training process, and it really made an impression on us when we interviewed Pam Boyd, um, the person who was raising the puppy at the time, that one of her dogs failed because the dog was too obedient. So, for example, if the blind person said, cross the street, and it really wasn't safe to cross the street or the light was red, the dog would go anyway because it obeyed the master's command. And that wasn't an acceptable behavior. Well, and as I recall, when this dog failed out of guide dog school, Pam, as the puppy raiser, got to take the dog back as a pet. And this dog knew all the rules and was, in essence, helping her train the new puppy. So the pet dog knew that the incipient guide dog was not allowed to put even one paw on the furniture and heaven help the puppy if he tried to because then the older dog would swat at the puppy and help reinforce some of these concepts. Early in our conversation, you tantalized us with a story about how you met your wife. Can you tell us that story? Sure. So I'd love to tell you the story about how I met my wife. I first learned how to use a cane and I spent a lot of time in the library. You know, now we have all the technology at our fingertips, but there used to be in the library an adaptive equipment room where I would go to study. 
And in order to enter the adaptive equipment room, there was a key and you had to pick up the key from the circulation desk. Well, I was using adaptive equipment room. And when I knew that I needed to get a guide dog at that point in time, because I couldn't be mobile enough to get around even to the library, I went away and got a guide dog. Uh, Yellow Lab, I mentioned his name is Paulson. And the first day I came back to the university library with my dog, the young lady at the other side of the circulation desk who had the key to the adaptive equipment room uh, actually had the key to my heart too. Uh, that's my wife, Melissa. So 20 years later uh, and five dogs, uh, we've been together. So it really is credit to my guide dog, Paulson, who she jumped over the desk to say hello to and broke every single rule in the book, of course, about not petting a guide dog. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it was a really nice way to meet her and to get to know her. And since then, of course, we've had uh, four children. Uh, I've got a nine-year-old boy, an 11, a 13, and a 15-year-old daughter. And I have to say very proudly that uh, all of them are now runners. Well, it sounds like there are other advantages to having a dog uh, besides the utility they get trained for. Ah, uh, yeah, I'll have to say. It's a testimony, Pete, that uh, indeed. Almost as good as Match.com. <laughs> uh, I think it's better than Match.com. Maybe we can come up with something like that. That's, uh, <laughs> that's pretty interesting. But um, no, it's, it's been wonderful uh, having a guide dog. Do you, do you guys ever have people that don't? choose a guide dog. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Or is that uh, an area that you've talked about in the past? Why people don't want to choose a guide dog? We have not. We've done probably half a dozen shows about various aspects of guide dogs. And then, of, of course, a number of the people we've talked to about other topics have talked about their guide dogs and how much they love the dog and it gives them independence and socialization and stuff. Right. No, we've, uh, Pete has never had a dog. So he's like a prime candidate we could talk to about why he never had a dog, but it's kind of one <laughs> sentence, like he doesn't have to feed the cane. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and, and that's an interesting thing because I think a lot of your listeners, you know, they choose not to have a guide dog and that's fine too. And uh, what are the reasons why someone does not want to uh, have a guide dog? And, you know, I've heard um, several reasons. Part is the responsibility of the guide dog. Uh, also you're, you know, always caring for the guide dog. So if you're traveling or you're going somewhere, if you're a hotel and you've got to park the dog, you've got to get the dog outside. So there's the added, uh, convenience factor of having, uh, mobility without the guide dog. And then some people are allergic too. So, uh, individuals who are, have allergies or serious allergies to the dog's dander can have a real challenge, uh, with the guide dog. Oh, there's a solution to that. We interviewed, he's a reporter for AMI in Western Canada, and but his day job is being a social worker. And he goes into a lot of group home living environments. He has a guide poodle. A guide poodle, yes. And I've heard great things about the standard poodles. Uh, we don't train standard poodles. We primarily train shepherds and labs. We actually got a chance to meet Gary Steves, the man with the guide poodle, when he was in Rochester, New York, where we were living at the time, as a member of the Canadian National Beep Baseball team. And we got to meet his poodle, who was, you know, a wonderful dog, as all of the guide dogs are. But boy, that dog really stuck out in the crowd, because most of the dogs are 
labs or shepherds. Anyways, I think, as you mentioned, you know, there are lots of choices, right? And having a dog or not is a matter of personal choice and probably a matter of your situation and what you want to do. So when I was younger, you know, Nancy mentioned I, well, first of all, I didn't start using a cane until just before I went to graduate school, although I probably should have been using one before then, but I lost a lot of my vision just about that time. Mm -hmm. And some of it recovered and I was able to see enough to be able to follow walkways by seeing it visually the contrast between the walk and the grass line. I could find buildings and doorways and stuff. And so, you know, I really navigated pretty well with a cane independently. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after I got married, I still had some functional vision and, you know, followed Nancy in situations where I didn't have my cane. And, you know, these days I have no functional vision, but you know, most of the time we're together, it's, you know, I don't travel around a lot independently in terms of, you know, through airports, you know, if we travel through airports, we're always together. Right. If I was single at this point with this type of vision and wanted to do do the things that I enjoy doing, I would probably opt for a dog. Mm. But, you know, being in the situation that, you know, we often do things together when we go hiking or, you know, mountainsides and stuff, you know, we've accommodated that. Yeah, depends on your individual situation. And you, you have a workable relationship where obviously the two of you work very well together. Uh, and I think that that's wonderful. I think that's absolutely wonderful. It really, truly is. I have not infrequently been referred to as his guide dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, uh, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I think it's all about, like you said, about personal choice as to whether you want to uh, work with a guide dog. And, you know, it doesn't always work out. We do have individuals that come and try uh, to work with the guide dog and they go home without the dog and they just say, look, I tried it, but this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. And that's OK, too. We always want to give people that opportunity uh, to be independent with the guide dog. That's what we're here for. That's what Guiding Eyes is known for. Um, but it really is all about personal choice. Well, as you've mentioned Getting a dog can be a real enabler and give one a real sense of independence to be able to do things that they've enjoyed in the past that might have been easier when they were seeing better. Yes, I, I really truly believe that, that um, the sense of independence, uh, not having to always rely on a human, uh, really does enable me. I travel a lot. Um, in my career, I've traveled the world a couple of times over. Uh, Before I was president of Guiding Eyes, I was in the Foreign Commercial Service and able to travel to other countries. And it wasn't always possible for a family member or friend to travel with me. So just getting through those airports, uh, through escalators, in different environments, for me personally, was only possible with a guide dog. And so for me, it really defines who I am as a person who's blind in terms of my ability to have been able to take on a career where I have constant travel without having excellent cane skills. So it's always an individual choice, but I feel like I am more independent with the guide dog. Now for this week's final item, how you can learn more about guide dogs in general and about guiding eyes for the blind. Anyway, if people would like to find out more about Guiding Eyes for the Blind, where would you send them? 
Well, they can start with our website, guidingeyes.org, and our Facebook page. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so you can follow Guiding Eyes for the Blind. They can call us. After the interview was over, the communications people at Guiding Eyes for the Blind asked us to tell our listeners that the phone number to call for any kind of information about Guiding Eyes for the Blind is 800-942-0149. We have an admissions department. Our application is online. You can apply for a Guiding Eyes guide dog. And Ben Colley is our admissions director, and they can get you the application material. Uh, and we also, of course, uh, can provide uh, any format material for the application. So the website is a great way to learn more about the organization. One thing that's uh, neat about Guide Dog Schools, including Guiding Eyes for the Blind, is that we're 100% funded by donations. And it costs about $50,000 to train, raise, and care for a guide dog for the lifetime of the dog. But there is no charge for a guide dog for a person who is blind. Uh, we pay for transportation to the school, as well as all of the expenses related to living on campus. We do provide a stipend for uh, the care of the dog over the year. And if you're in an area, uh, our veterinary costs are at no charge. So it's really just about making the commitment and seeing if a guide dog is right for you. And you are in New York State, but this service is available to anybody, no matter where they're located, I take it. That's right. You can apply for a guide dog at Guiding Eyes, no matter what state you're in. And we do serve individuals in other countries as well. Uh, we have field reps that will come out to your home to do an interview and to talk to you about a guide dog. They'll also do a demonstration Juno walk, which is what we call when the instructor will come with a guide dog harness Without the dog, uh, it does look a little strange for people in the neighborhood if you're walking around holding on to this invisible dog harness. <laughs> but just to give you the experience of what it's like to travel with the guide dog. And uh, yes, we offer uh, Guiding Eyes dogs to anybody, no matter where you live. And in case you missed any of that information in the audio, it can be found in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. And as we approach the end of our seventh year of recording this show every week, we wanted to remind you that if you wanted to look through those over 350 episodes that we have in our archives, the easy way to do it is to look for items in our search field. Just put in a search term or a keyword. For example, we talked about beep baseball earlier in the show. If you want to find that episode, type beep into the search field and you'll find links to the audio and show notes as well as a summary of that show. So have fun with that search field. That's it for show number 1751. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll continue the conversation with Thomas Panic, president of Guiding Eyes for the Blind, and we'll be focusing on a new skill for which his organization is training dogs, and that is running with as they guide their blind owners. This is a very special skill, and it's only recently become an option, and we'll hear how this is done and how it's been working out for Thomas and his guide dog, Gus. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at 
eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.